Our scripture reading today is 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. I'll give you a moment to turn there, or it's also in the bulletin. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who, has, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, all, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anna. Good morning, Lake Baldwin Church. He is risen. It's so good to see so many of you out this morning, so many faces. And I just want to extend a warm welcome to you if this is your first time. I know we have so many visitors this morning. Friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors, we're so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. Well, I want to start out this morning by asking you a simple question. One question. What is worth your while? What is worth your while? We only have one life to live, and it's a short one. What is so worth spending your time and your energy on. Derek Thompson, you may know this person. He, he writes for The Atlantic. This is what he says. He observes an American phenomenon, and he calls it workism. Workism. This is how he defines it. Workism. It's a new kind of religion, one that valorizes work, career, and achievement above all else. He goes on to say that people that believe this they are adherents to a cult of productivity and achievement, wherein anything short of finding one's vocational soulmate amounts to a wasted life. So what do you think? If you're an adherent to workism, are they right? Is work worth your while, work and career and some sort of achievement? Is it worth investing in. I think Derek Thompson is making a very astute observation about Americans, because if we just look at how much time and energy Americans spend on this, maybe he's right. Adults are overworked. Adults are spending their time trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to find the American dream, and then just look at our families today. Parents and children completely obsessed with educational achievement. Maybe he's right. 
There was a recent interview in Variety magazine, and William Shatner, who I hope you know is Captain Kirk of the Star, Starship Enterprise. If you don't know that, well, <laughs> now you know. Uh, he's 91, actually, and if just, just hearing that makes me feel old, <laughs> actually. He, in that interview, he was commenting about his mortality. He, this is what he says, I don't have long to live. And when asked about his legacy, this is what he says. People ask about legacy. There's no legacy. Statues are torn down. Graveyards are ransacked. Headstones are knocked over. No one remembers anyone. Who remembers Danny Kaye or Cary Grant? They were great stars, but they're gone and no one cares. But what does live on are good deeds. If you do a good deed, it reverberates to the end of time. Is Captain Kirk right? Sounds a little bit more palatable than workism. Well, you may be wondering this morning, what does this all have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? And I want to tell you that it has everything to do with the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus defines what is worth our while here on earth. And as we unpack this passage this morning, we're going to see this by looking at the problem of the resurrection, the pickle of the resurrection, and then the power of the resurrection. For those who are taking an outline, there's your outline. The problem, the pickle, and the power. Let's look at the problem of the resurrection in verse 12. You'll see this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. Well, they had a problem in the early church in Corinth. Some of them did not believe that the dead were raised to life. And you may know that the early church sprang out of Judaism. And there were some in Judaism, you may know them as the, the Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So maybe that carried over. But also realize this, the Corinthian church was living at a time that was heavily influenced by Greek culture. And the Greeks did not believe in a resurrection. They believed in the immortality of the soul, but they did not believe in the resurrection of the body. Why is that? Because the body and the physical world was evil. Anything that was spiritual was good. Anything that was physical was evil. So living here on earth is like living in a tomb. And so when you died, you were actually released from that tomb. Maybe these are some of the ideas that influenced that early church to make them think that there's no such thing as the resurrection from the dead. Now, in modern times, we, there's a variety of views that are floating around out there right? There's this idea that, well, what you see is what you get. The physical world is the only real thing that we have. There's no such thing as the spiritual world. And so guess what? When you die, that's it. No more consciousness. There's no such thing as a spirit. That is the end. You're obliterated. Then there's this idea of reincarnation, and it's this idea that, yes, after death, you come back, but you can inhabit some other type of body. You may come back as a butterfly or a fish, 
A deer? Hopefully not. So, <laughs> you guys know I'm a hunter. <clears throat> but there's this idea of reincarnation floating around out there. Some believe that there is a spiritual world and that there is this kind of cosmic energy. And when you die, you get reabsorbed into the universe. And Christians, some Christians believe that when you die, you become an angel. You get to float around on clouds, strum a harp, maybe shoot little arrows at people. Well, in 2006, there was a poll that found that only 36% of Americans believe that their bodies will be resurrected someday. And I'm sure that number is even less now. What does the Bible teach about resurrection? Actually, if you study the Bible, you'll see that resurrection is all over the Bible. I'm just going to give you two references this morning. If you're taking notes, you can jot it down. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says this, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus even taught about resurrection. In fact, he taught about a universal resurrection. This is what it says in John chapter five. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so nowhere in the Bible is this idea that if you die, that is just it. You're annihilated. Nowhere in the Bible is the idea that you're coming back as another animal. Nowhere in the Bible is the idea that Christians are going to turn into angels Somehow, what the Bible actually teaches is that when Jesus comes again, every single one of us will be resurrected. And so this is the problem that was confronting that early church. And I want you to see how Paul is going to tackle this problem with the Corinthians. I want you to follow his logic. He is going to tell them the devastating consequences if there is no resurrection of the dead. And that leads to the second point, which is the pickle of the resurrection. You'll see this in verses 13 through 19, and you're getting a little bit of a clue into the struggle of preachers, right? Trying to make things alliterate. What is that, what is that word pickle? Where does that come from? You, you may not know. Shakespeare used this in The Tempest. He said, how camest thou in this pickle? How camest thou in this pickle? I'm going to use that someday. <laughs> um, actually, when he was using it, he was talking about being drunk. And so that term has evolved over time. I knew it from uh, playing baseball when I was younger. And when you were a runner and you got caught between the bases and they were trying to get you out, you were in a pickle, which means you were in a quandary. You were in an untenable situation. You were in a difficult spot. And that's... That's what Paul is going to do with his fierce logic. He's going to show the Corinthians that they're in a pickle if they're saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. And so what is the devastating consequence if there is no resurrection of the dead? In verse 13, this is what Paul says. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Paul had a microphone, he would have dropped it right then. 
Because that's all he would have needed to say. He, his argument would have been made. In other words, he's saying to the Corinthians, hey, you guys are following Christ. You guys say you believe in Christ. You've put your faith in him. you put your hope in him. If there is no resurrection from the dead, this person you are following has not even been resurrected. In other words, Jesus is dead. And then here we go with Paul's logic. He's going to unpack four devastating ramifications for the Corinthian believers if Jesus was not raised from the dead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through these a little bit quick, but listen to what I'm saying. The first point, in 14 and 15, he's going to say this. All this preaching about the good news is just a waste of time. In fact, all of us who are going around preaching this good news of the gospel, we are misrepresenting God. We are lying about God. We are, we're selling snake oil to you. It's like the text that I got this morning. I can't believe I got texts on Easter morning saying that my Netflix subscription has expired and, and one saying that my Amazon package was not delivered, right? Click on it. Just a scam. If Christ is not raised from the dead, all of this preaching, all of this truth, it's just a scam. If you went to that Legionnaire conference, you're wasting your time. If you're listening to sermons and podcasts, it's misrepresenting God. That's the first ramification. Second ramification in verses 14 and 17, if Christ is not raised, Corinthians, your faith is in vain. Your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If Jesus is still in the grave, there is no validation that his, his sacrifice is acceptable to God. A dead Jesus did not conquer your sin. That's the second devastating ramification. The third one in verse 18, Corinthians, those believers that you know who have died, guess what? They're gone forever. They're lost. You're never going to see them again because a dead Jesus did not conquer the grave. And if Jesus didn't conquer the grave, guess what? They did not either. That's the third ramification. Here's the fourth one. In verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, Corinthians, if, if in this life it's, you've hoped only in Christ, well, I'm sorry to tell you, that's, that's really pathetic. It's really pathetic. I'm wondering, have you ever looked at someone else's life and thought, wow, they're wasting their time. It's not worth their while what they are engaged in. This is a touchy subject, so guess what I decided to do? I decided to ask chat GPT about it. You knew it, would, you, you knew it would come in the sermon one day, right? <laughs> I said to chat GPT, how can a person waste their life? This is what the artificial intelligence told me. As an AI language model, I cannot make moral judgments or opinions about individuals. But in general, a person can waste their life by not making the most of their time and potential. Here are some ways in which a person can waste their life. And then it goes on to give me a list of eight different things that you can do to waste your life, like scrolling endlessly through social media. It's fascinating. <laughs> 
playing video games, binging out on Netflix. What was fascinating to me about this is we're watching scientists try to give morality to artificial intelligence, and it's, 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 it's confusing, right? You know, I can't give any judgments, but here you go. Let me give you, give you some, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what's going on here is Paul is saying, if, if Christ is your hope in life, it's just like you spending all of your time playing video games. You're wasting your time. Well, he would go on to say in verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we're going to die. In other words, party on, party on. Pick what makes you happy and go do it. And isn't that what we see happening a lot in our culture today? That that's the philosophy that guides people, that we're going to do what makes us happy. That's what is worth our while. Well, if Christ is not raised from the dead, I don't know what we're all doing here this morning. I mean, it's not sunny outside, but perhaps you should have been at Disney World or at the beach. That's the point that Paul is making. So here's the bottom line. If Jesus is not alive in heaven right now, there is no hope. Faith in Christ would not be worth our while. And so you see what Paul is doing. He is setting them up for the fall. He is showing them, if you believe that there is no resurrection from the dead, you are in a tough spot. You are in a pickle. And so let's look now at that last point, the power of the resurrection. You'll see this in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, the Corinthians, their problem was not that they, that they didn't believe that Christ was resurrected. They actually did. They believed that Christ was resurrected. What the problem was is they, they had a problem thinking, am I going to be resurrected also? That's the problem they were facing. They knew Christ was resurrected. In fact, earlier in this chapter in verses 3 through 9, Paul gives a litany of evidence for the resurrection. He says, yes, remember Peter? Jesus appeared to Peter. Those apostles, he appeared to all 12. In fact, there's more than 500 people, most of them alive today. Some of them you know Jesus appeared to. And then lastly, he appeared to me. This is Paul speaking. There was eyewitness account. There was eyewitness evidence. They knew about it, that Jesus had risen from the dead. And for us today, actually, we don't know those eyewitnesses, but we can look simply at the transformed lives of those apostles and say, there is no other explanation for why they did what they did. They would be crazy. I mean, if, if you're about to be crucified or tortured or beheaded, maybe you would say, okay, I was just, I was just making it up. I didn't really see Jesus you would recant. Every single one of them except for John went to their grave declaring that Jesus is alive. And so their transformed lives speak to the evidence of the resurrection. And so what Paul is saying 
is Christ is risen. That is proof enough that, yes, Corinthian, yes, brothers and sisters, you will be risen also. And that Jesus is alive this morning, it has the ultimate impact on what we say is worth our while right now and for all of eternity. Jesus is a historical figure. He's a real person. This is not disputed. In fact, if you go to Wikipedia, and I quote this, this is what it says. It's the fact that Jesus has been crucified and died is an established historical event. And I can hear my children saying, don't trust Wikipedia. <laughs> and they're right. So if you don't trust Wikipedia, go to a few historians. Go to a Jewish historian named Josephus. If you don't trust him, go to a Roman historian named Tacitus. And if you trust them, it's interesting, because if you trust them, you ought to trust the word of God. Because the word of God has a thousand times more physical evidence of its truthfulness than the evidence for Josephus and Tacitus. Eyewitness detailed accounts from people who were right there. Jesus was a historical figure. He lived, he died, he was crucified, and the fact that he is risen from the dead, it changes everything. It changes everything for me. It changes everything for every one of you who are here this morning. It changes everything for everyone on planet Earth. And so if you are a believer this morning, if you have trusted in Christ, I want to tell you this morning, your faith, your hope in Christ, yes, it is worth your while. Faith in Christ is worth your while. Let me give you just three reasons. We could just go on and on this morning. Three reasons why faith in Christ is worth your while. Because Jesus is risen, your sins are now forgiven. And guess what? God, through the resurrection, is validating the fact that Jesus' sacrifice is an acceptable sacrifice for you. There's proof, there's validation that he is accepted. And if your sins are forgiven, you are free. You are free. That guilt, that shame that hangs over you like a dark cloud, it's wiped forever away. And because God accepts the sacrifice of his son Jesus, guess what? He looks upon you and he sees Christ and he says, you are acceptable. You are well pleased in my sight. If you are in Christ this morning, God is looking down upon you now and he is smiling. He's not looking at the fact that you have a giant record of sin. He's not saying, look what that person did this morning or look what that person has done in the past. He looks upon you and he sees Jesus and he smiles and he delights as a father does in his son and he is singing over you. You are fully accepted because you are in Jesus. And you know what that means? You may have come in here this morning, weighed down, you've spent your life trying to gain acceptance. 
trying to gain approval, maybe from your parents, maybe from coworkers, friends. You've spent so much energy protecting your reputation. And the gospel is telling you this morning, you don't have to do that. Jesus has the perfect record, and when God looks at you, he sees his son, and he says, I love you. You are fully accepted. And if you're fully accepted by the God of this universe, you don't have to work to gain acceptance from anybody. You're accepted by the one person in the universe that really matters. That's the first implication. And as part of that, because your sins are forgiven, death has no sting any longer. We went on a trip recently, uh, and just one of our children were able to join us, my older daughter, Allie. And we were talking to her, just reminiscing about the past and how Allie was, she was afraid of everything. And I remember one time, she was young, and uh, I was, I was we, we brought our, our kayak to a picnic by a lake, and I was determined to get Allie into that kayak, and she was screaming her head off. No, no, no. And so I grabbed her, <laughs> and I set her down in front of me, and we were like in inches of water right next to the shore, and she slowly calmed down. And we were just reminiscing about all the things that Allie was afraid of. She was afraid of her shadow, it seemed, and she was a mama's girl. And we asked her, well, like, what changed for you? Because you're so different now. And she said it changed when I became a Christian. Death no longer has a sting. Now we have to worry about Allie being too far up in a tree or too close to the edge, right? <laughs> She's fearless because she is in Christ. That's number one. Your sins are forgiven if you're in Christ. Number two, because Jesus is risen, guess what? He can help you right now. In Hebrews 7, verse 25, it says, he lives to make intercession for us. Jesus, his work of redemption, what I mean by that is, is redeeming us from sin, purchasing us from sin, atoning for our sin. That work is done, but he's still at work for you if you are in Christ. He is at the right hand of the Father pleading on your behalf. A dead Savior is no help for us right now and certainly no help for us in eternity, but because he is alive he is actively working for you right now. What does that mean? It means if you've come here this morning and you're carrying deep, deep burdens and there's trouble in your heart, before you even ask, before this even entered your life, your Savior, your Lord is working on your behalf, pleading for you. How does it feel to know that Jesus is praying for you? He's doing that right now. So firstly, your sins are forgiven. Death has no sting. You're accepted. Secondly, Jesus is at work right now for you. And thirdly, because Jesus is risen, we too are going to be risen. We're going to be resurrected with glorified bodies. And these bodies are not going to be just like Adam and Eve. No, it's not a restoration back to Eden. They could sin. They could still bring evil into the world. That is not going to be possible with us. And so if you think of yourself or people you know who are struggling with sickness or disease or cancer or depression 
or anxiety, all those things wiped away, gone forever. Some of us here this morning, we've got medicine cabinets just full of stuff, right? There's going to be no more Claritin, no more Zestral, Lipitor, Adderall. You fill in the blank. It's all gone. Jesus is going to bring healing to your physical bodies. And for those of you here this morning who have carried deep wounds, you've lived your whole life under the shadow of a heavy wound that you're carrying. It's affected all of your relationships. It's affected your family. It's affected your job. It's affected your schooling. It's affected the way you think about yourself. The good news this morning, when you're resurrected, Jesus is gonna bring healing to you. You will no longer carry that burden. I gave you a quote in the bulletin this morning most of you know Johnny Erickson Tata, but I'll, I'll recap a little bit for you. When she was 17, she, she, she dove into a pool, and it was too shallow, and she had an accident, and it crippled her from the shoulders down. She's quadriplegic, and she's much older now. This is what she says. Let me read it for you. I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, Gnarled knees and no feeling from the shoulder down will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone who is cerebral palsied, brain injured, or has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive, no other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. You'll be resurrected with a totally new body. You will have ultimate healing in Jesus you know, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus that the persecuted people throughout history and even now around the world can have hope. Did you know that in North Korea, if you have faith in Christ, you're, you're, you're putting at risk your family, you're putting at risk torture, execution. There's an estimate that, that there's upward to 50 to 70,000 North Korean Christians who are serving in a labor camp because of their faith and the resurrection says to them, brothers and sisters, in Christ, your faith is not futile. Your faith is worth your while. And in Nigeria, where in 2021, it averaged 17 Christians per day were being killed. And since 2009, more than 40,000 Christians have died. Death has lost its sting. The resurrection changes everything. If you're here this morning, you've yet to follow Christ in faith. I want to put it before you this morning. Jesus is alive. And the fact that Jesus is alive is the most important, crucial, deciding factor of what is worth your while here on earth. Can you afford to ignore a risen Lord? 
Can you afford to, to not deal with Jesus this morning? He is alive. And because Jesus is alive, faith in him is worth your while. Now, you may have been in church and hear that word faith, and you've heard all sorts of words associated with it. You've heard words like believe and trust, invite them into your heart. These are all great things. And I want to explain it with two words to you this morning. Receive and rest. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the Son of God, and rest in his work, not yours. Rest in his work of living a perfect life for you so that you could inherit by faith his perfect righteousness. Receive his death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the fact that he is risen from the dead so that you too can be risen to newness of life. You know, as we come to the close of the service, there's gonna be space and time as we're singing for you to do business with God. All you have to do is call out to him and say, Lord, give me faith in Christ. Let me trust in him. Let me believe in him. Let me receive him. Let me rest in him. Help my unbelief. That's a prayer that God will always answer. Well, the pivotal moment in all of human history from the beginning to the end is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is risen. And the good news, brothers and sisters, he is worth our every while. Will you pray with me? Our gracious God and heavenly Father, our hearts burst forth this morning with joy because Jesus is alive, the one who we trusted in, the one that we've set all our hope on, the one that we say is worth our while. He is in heaven. He is at the position of power at the right hand of the Father. He is pleading and interceding for us. And Father, we praise you for Jesus, raising him from the dead. Lord, this morning we pray for those who have come this morning who have yet to follow him in faith. I pray that you would encourage them and work on their heart. Allow them space and time to consider Jesus a historical figure one who was raised from the dead so that they can have newness of life. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.